Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll be joined by Scott McCartney, Travel Editor Emeritus of the Wall Street Journal and co host of the podcast Airlines Confidential for a look at everything from bag tracking to how Raleigh, like Austin, Texas, and Boston, is becoming an airline battleground. Then, a little bit of Raleigh history with the untold stories of the city when I speak with Ernest Dollar, the executive director of the Raleigh Museum, and another fascinating place, the Pope House. And finally, a frontline update from Scott Myrowitz, the executive editor of The Points Guy, on his firsthand and somewhat ridiculous experience with hotel resort fees and what this might mean to you. First up, Scott McCartney. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. 
Scott, welcome to the airport. <laughs> good, good to be with you. Good to be with you at baggage claim, Peter. <laughs> and good to have my bags actually arrive. And thanks to my air tags, by the way, I'm using them now. It's amazing. I mean, every time I leave where my bags are, they tell me I've left them. It's like they're lonely. But the good news is they actually work, especially when you can actually tell the airline ahead of time that you know where your bags are even faster than they do. Yeah, I think this is actually a big issue for the industry because we've seen several episodes where airlines have told people, oh, your bags are out for delivery or in the warehouse, and it turns out they're in somebody's apartment or at McDonald's or uh, wherever because people can now track them. The consumer technology has gotten ahead of the airlines. Um, we've seen this before with flight tracking, right? People knew where their planes were. Gate agents were telling, were giving them bad information. Airlines had to really up their game, and I think they've got to really up their game on baggage tracking as well. Um, they, they're late to the game with scanning, uh, but there is much better technology out there. Consumers are already using it, and airlines are gonna have to spend money to catch up to where uh, the world is. Um, and this is uh, another example of how the industry has fallen behind. And of course, I'm going back to the days before they even had the barcodes on the back tags. They just had the three-letter city codes, which could easily be misinterpreted, right? I mean, uh, unbelievable, you know. I mean, I mean, what you thought was Mexico turned out to be Nairobi. What you thought was Nairobi turned out to be Saskatchewan. You have to know your three-letter city airport codes as well, no matter what. Yeah, and it was, you know, at the time, FedEx could tell you exactly where your package was. Why couldn't the airline tell you where your bag was? Um, those those three-letter paper tags, they'd get torn off. They, they'd get misrouted. Uh, still, you hear stories of people putting the wrong tag on the bag. you got to always check when, when somebody else tags your bag. Um, but the, the scanning that airlines do... Uh, really is inferior. Um, RFID technology is cheap. It's, it's out there. Uh, there are ways that airlines could pretty easily up their game in terms of um, baggage tracking and, and also informing customers where the bags are. Um, some are taking baby steps and doing that with their app, but there's a lot more they can do. And I think there is a lot more that they will do. I go back to the basics and the three-letter codes. By the way, LOS does not mean Los Angeles. That's Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, I love the one for Fresno, FAT, F-A-T, standing for the Fresno Air Terminal. But the one that I love the best is the one I happened to have the other day, one I'd never seen before, TMM. Does anybody know what TMM stands for? Do you, Scott? I don't, but I'll tell you my favorite. So uh, in, in Rome, if you fly into Ciampino Airport, your, your uh, bag gets a tag that says CIA. And I thought that was pretty cool to have CIA on my bag. Well, it depends on where you're flying into or out of. Okay, now I'll tell you what TMM stands for. I've never had it before. King George Island in the Antarctic. Ah, very good. That's it's actually a three-letter code for a Chilean Air Force base that actually takes commercial flights every once in a while. All right, so we've gone from the bag tag situation. For one more thing I'm going to add, when you see that barcode on your bag tags, that doesn't mean anything that you, unless you ask a question, especially if you're making a connecting flight. You go to the gate, you go to the counter at that gate, and say, here, here are my barcodes, here are my bag tag numbers. Can you check to see that my bags have been scanned and loaded? You know, some airlines will do that with their app, and people should really use this. Uh, American Airlines is actually pretty good at that. 
they, they do scan the bag when it's loaded. You can be sitting on the airplane and know that your bag is loaded on the airplane. You'll know when it's unloaded in the city or when it's arrived at the city. And, and ultimately, when they throw it on the, on the belt for the long trip to the carousel. Um, it's not foolproof. Um, some stations are better than others at scanning. That's uh, one of the where, uh, areas that American Asta and other airlines have to get better at. Um, but they are trying, and I think there's a lot more coming. And I think even JetBlue is doing it. I was on a JetBlue flight recently, and they, they let me. I mean, I was good. I really knew that at that point. I didn't have to wait 40 minutes to be disappointed. I could actually know where my bags were the minute I landed. Now, here we are at Raleigh-Durham, RDU, speaking of three-letter airport codes. Uh, this is a hot airport. Yeah, this really is a hot airport, um, and, and, and you can tell with the full parking lot. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, RDU has become a very competitive market. There are several other cities, um, Austin, Texas, Sacramento, California, um, even Boston, uh, that have become uh, really big airline battlegrounds. Um, and there are many reasons for it, um, primarily because those cities have growing business communities. And airlines are desperate for business travelers now. They lost a lot in the pandemic. They have said they're not all come back, right? We're all using more Zoom technology um, and consolidating trips and not making as many trips. So 75 to 80% uh, of business travel has returned, but that 20 to 25% that's missing is really hurting airlines. So a market like Raleigh-Durham with a growing business community and not an established hub airline, uh, it's going to be a battle to see which carrier can dominate Raleigh-Durham, which carrier will become the dominant carrier in Austin or Sacramento or some of these other places um, that have uh, growing business communities and no hub airline. Uh, and as a result, um, uh, Raleigh-Durham seeing a lot of new flights, a lot of direct service to places you wouldn't think, um, including Austin to Raleigh-Durham. Uh, and, uh, and that's going to continue and people will benefit from lower prices because of all that competition. You know, I, I remember, I'm going to give myself a little bit of dating here, this is not the first time that airlines have been competing for Raleigh-Durham. There was a time when American Airlines placed all of its bets on Raleigh-Durham as a hub. Yeah, in fact, the, the terminal that we're standing in was built as an American hub, um, but now it, it houses a whole bunch of airlines. Uh, uh, Delta has gotten big. Delta, uh, you know, because it has a big hub in Atlanta, didn't necessarily make sense to put a, um, a lot of service into Raleigh-Durham. They just feed all the traffic through Atlanta. Well, now Delta's doing nonstops from Raleigh-Durham all over the country. Um, same for American trying to build back in. But we see other carriers, too. Spirit, um, JetBlue has made a big push here. Uh, in in, um, in Dallas, even, Frontier Airlines is setting up a crew base. Uh, so in, in growing markets, um, we are seeing more airline competition. Um, and that kind of goes against the narrative of a consolidating industry and there's less competition. In some cities, like the one we're in, uh, it's a, it is a hotbed battleground. And, uh, and I think it's going to be for several years. Of course, there's the flip side of that, and that's secondary and tertiary cities like Toledo, Ohio, Eureka, California, Dubuque, Iowa, uh, Moline, Illinois, uh, uh, Islip, New York, Ithaca, New York, where the airlines have either pulled out substantial service or they've eliminated it altogether. 
Yeah, and that's related to this, because when you start a new market, you often start with a small plane, right? So there are, so there are regional jets flying into Raleigh-Durham from places like Austin, Texas, um, that, that maybe there's not yet enough traffic to support a full-size plane, so they're redeploying those regional jets that used to go to Eureka or other smaller cities. But the, the big problem for small cities is that um, there is a pilot shortage at the regional airlines. It's really more of a captain shortage. Once you get 1,500 hours, you're eligible to be hired by uh, a big airline, and uh, and the more time you build as a captain at a regional, uh, the more attractive you are um, to the big airlines, and pilots want to get on at the big airlines. That's their future. That's their career. The sooner they do it, the higher seniority number they'll have. Um, so the regionals have had a really hard time, even though they're offering much better pay, big bonuses. Uh, and all that, they're having a hard time keeping pilots. And when you're short on pilots, what do you have to do? You have to eliminate the smallest markets. And that means uh, a lot of small cities uh, have lost airline service because um, there just aren't the, the crews to fly the airplanes. And I don't see there's any airline position right now to fill that void. I mean, if Toledo lost American, United, and Delta, who else can possibly come in right now? Yeah, I think if you live in Toledo, the reality is you got to drive. Um, you got to go to go to Cleveland, go to Detroit, go to wherever you, you can to um, to get a flight. And a lot of people were doing that already because they found cheaper fares there. Um, but there are are places further away from civilization um, for where the loss of air service is really important. And for small communities, um, not having airline service makes it really hard to attract new new businesses and to attract a factory and all. It really impacts. The, the economy, people will move away because they want to be able to go get on flights easily to go on vacation, visit grandkids, whatever it might be. Um, the loss of air service is really impactful for a small community. My thanks to Scott. Raleigh is not just about airline battleground, but it's also a cultural hub as well. And no one knows that better than Ernest Dollar, the executive director not just of the Raleigh Museum, but also of a very special place the Pope House. When it comes to picking the perfect treats for your dog, Stuart makes the choice easy by keeping it real. Real ingredients, real nutrients, real benefits. Stuart dog treats are free from additives, corn, soy, wheat, and grains. Plus, they're freeze-dried to lock in all the great nutrition and natural flavor your furry friend deserves. Stuart freeze-dried dog treats. Big, tail-wagging nutritional benefits. Available on Amazon.com today. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all. And tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. See for Smart Energy. Stay focused. Ernest Dollar, welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. I wasn't aware of this, and I'd love to talk to you about it. Raleigh wasn't really a presence before the Revolutionary War. It just it got founded around, what, 1792? Correct, yeah. And then, all of a sudden, here we are. It's the state capital. 
How did that happen? It's an amazing story. Um, you know, after the American Revolution, as these new states are looking for a capital, and traditionally the, the capital of North Carolina had been on the coast before the, for the revolution, but I think they wanted to move it somewhere in the central part of the state to sort of uh, to, to fulfill those revolutionary principles of giving all the citizens access to power. So they looked around at different plots, and they hummed and they hawed, and even George Washington wrote to the legislator and said, hey, you guys have got to pick somewhere, hurry up and do it. And so they just chose this spot where there was nothing, just wilderness out in the middle of North Carolina, and they said, here we'll put it. And, and here it stayed. It did. And yet North Carolina obviously expanded so much over the years. But the history, you know, it's one thing, you look at some states and say, okay, you can tell the history of America by that state, or you can tell the history of the West by that state. What can you tell the history of by this state and by this city? Well, North Carolina is, is always one of these overlooked original 13 colonies. And, you know, the running joke... And you know what? You're right. When somebody says, name the 13... Okay, you got Delaware, you got Vermont. You, nobody gets to North Carolina. Yeah. We, we, you know, these southern colonies kind of get overlooked in sort of the grand revolutionary fervor that the nation was forged in. And so North Carolina, when it became a state, it was always kind of the butt of the nation. And people called North Carolina the Rip Van Winkle state based on that Washington urban story about the farmer who fell asleep for 20 years and everything passed him by. So, so they thought you were boring. Well, just kind of backwards. Backwards. We, we okay, boring and backwards. <laughs> yeah, we really didn't have a lot of ports on the coast where we could really you know, connect to the world. And the infrastructure was poor, a, a very poor, uneducated populace. So we really see this start to turn around uh, in the 1830s. And North Carolina really makes this Herculean effort to become a modern state of the Union. And so I think that's kind of one, uh, the signature, I think I would add, to North Carolina. It was a state that was behind everything and just took that American spirit of pull yourself by your bootstraps and become a modern state. And we see this repeat itself in the 1950s. What happens then? The Research Triangle Park. So that's Raleigh, Durham, and? Chapel Hill. There you go. And that's the Research Triangle. But the park itself was an amazing uh, effort where all these World War II veterans who had gone off, seen the world, came back to North Carolina and said, hey, we have a chance. We need to keep up with the rest of the nation. So they tied business and the universities in these three cities together and formed the park. And it has truly saved and reinvigorated central North Carolina. At the museum itself, obviously you're celebrating the city, right? And the state, because it's the state capital. Mm -hmm. But when people come to the museum, what are they going to see? What are they going to experience? Yeah, we talk about, we're such a hyper-locus focus on the, the history of this city and the, the state's capital. So we take people through sort of the, the, the origins of the city and what was here before, which was nothing, and how it kind of established, how it grew, and how it took on the distinctive character that we share today with the rest of the world. And so what would, I mean, for example... When I was growing up, you know, I hated going to museums because I couldn't touch anything. I couldn't see anything. There was nothing interactive. I was behind a glass wall. That's not the case. No. Uh, and, you know, one of the most popular things we have or where young folks can put their hands on is a, an incredibly archaic device you may have heard of called a typewriter. Maybe. Yeah. Kids don't know what a typewriter is these days. Well, you want to know, I'll tell you a story. I, when I was a correspondent for News, we used these big manual standalone desk models of royal typewriters with big keys, big green keys. And, and, um, and when I left Newsweek, I, you know, I had such an, a, a relationship with that typewriter. I, I asked Newsweek if I could buy it, and for $50, they sold it to me. And I just put it on a shelf. It became an art piece. 
And many years later, um, after my mom had passed away, I was going through some of her stuff, which you do for decades after your mom passes away. And in the drawer that I found was a completely unsealed, I mean, un still sealed box of typewriter ribbon. And I went, I got to do this. So I take the typewriter off the shelf and I, I put the ribbon in and I hit the, you know, the return key. I put some paper in and I wanted to hit the keys. I hurt myself. <laughs> I, I forgot how hard you had to hit those keys because we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, that's one of the interactive things that it's so simple, but we forget as older folks that young kids have no idea what this thing is. And so we have a couple of uh, interactives, electronic interactives and puzzles and games based around North Raleigh history that they can also play with in the museum. Of course, you have some another exhibit, uh, maybe not one of your permanent exhibits, but one called Pour Me Another. It's coming up this year. And? Uh, you know, it is part of the uh, celebration of North Carolina beverages, both uh -oh. legal and Please illegal. don't tell me it's interactive. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's some of the programming we've got to go along with. You can't have an exhibit like that without having a, raising a glass or two. And, of course, some of that includes stuff that was prohibited. Indeed. We're talking moonshine and we're talking, you know, prohibition. It came in many names. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's part of North Carolina's culture that shaped the state so much. Uh, if you just think about NASCAR, it draws its origin from this illegal running of moonshine. That's how it started. Mm -hmm. Not to mention Demolition Derby, but we'll, <laughs> we won't get there. But let's talk a little bit about Sir Walter Raleigh. Because... That's the name we have. Yeah, and you know we really don't have a definitive reason why the the leaders of the state gave the new state capital that name. Now, if you turn back the clock to about 1587, Sir Walter Raleigh funded a voyage to start a colony in the New World, and they landed on Roanoke Island on the coast of North Carolina, and they found the the first city of Raleigh. And so, I think these revolutionary leaders looked at what Raleigh how he loomed large in the historiography of North Carolina and his spirit of exploration and said, hey, if we're going to start as a, as a new nation, as a new state, let us just name it after Raleigh, who tried to start a new colony in the new world. Not after some British king. Right. Exactly. But, you know, Raleigh never even came to the new world, so he never saw the, the, his fruits of his labor. Now, you're also the executive director of the Pope House, but that's, that's, a, very, that's a completely other kind of exhibit. Yeah, so the, the, one of the things about Raleigh, as you have to understand, is that it, from the end of the Civil War, has such a robust and rich, vibrant African-American communities. And it's almost, we see two Raleigh's kind of grew up side by side and anchored by one of the mother HBCUs in the United States, Shaw University, followed quickly by St. Augustine's University. And Pope was named after the first black doctor. Well, Dr. Dr. Pope um, was came out of eastern North Carolina, came to Raleigh, attended Shaw, and there was a great need for health care for African Americans. So Shaw started a, a the first four-year medical school in the United States, and Dr. Pope was one of the first six graduates. And he went on to be one of the, the, the three that were actually licensed by the state to practice medicine, the first of his kind. And by the way, in those days, getting that license for someone of color was no small feat. Right. And so he faced a lot of adversity, but you know, went on to do great things. Uh, he founded his own drug company. He was a veteran of the Spanish-American War in 1896. And he ran for mayor, incredibly, in 1919, um, at a time when we still, you know, the, the last recorded lynching in Wake County was in 1919. So an incredibly brave move on his part. Wow. Lots of history in that building. Mm -hmm. And so we have that open as a house museum, one of the very few African-American house museums in the United States. They're just so rare. 
to find these intimate spaces where African-Americans lived. And we have all of Dr. Pope and his family's furniture and belongings, about 8,000 objects associated with the house. So we have that open for folks to come and explore and learn his story. My thanks to Ernest. Remember President Biden's State of the Union address when he went after airline and hotel junk fees? One of the most insidious, the hotel resort fee. And how draconian are these fees? Just ask Scott Meyerowitz, executive editor of The Points Guy, who has his own absurd experience with a hotel resort fee. How are you, man? Great, Peter. How are you? Good. So let's let's get into this because I've always said that a resort fee is an attempt by the hotels to dodge taxes because (laughs) there are something there are things called the occupancy taxes. Every city has one. They can be as high as twenty one percent. So if you're spending two hundred dollars a night for the room, that city's getting at least forty two dollars if it's a twenty one percent occupancy tax, and that's money the hotel doesn't get to keep. But if they charge you a quote unquote resort fee, well, that may be charged at the seven or eight percent state sales tax. And they're, they're retaining most of that. So it's a way for them to generate revenue without having to be taxed on it. And in many cases, as you know, we've both run, done stories on this. A lot of hotels in the past didn't fully disclose the, the charge. They didn't disclose it when you made the reservation. They didn't disclose it when you checked in. Then you had the sticker shock when you checked out because if you're paying $40 a night for a resort fee and you're there for five nights, that's 200 bucks you didn't count on and you couldn't find the value there. And uh, ironically, you just had something happen to you. Exactly. So it's funny, Peter, a lot of municipalities are catching up on this and actually now starting to charge higher taxes on those resort fees because, well, they realize they're losing out of money. But hotels still love them. And, you know, one of the things is people don't realize how much the resort fees are going to add to the cost of their stay. And when you book through an online travel agency like Expedia or Priceline, you don't necessarily think about it, especially when looking at the search results. So that's still a big motivator. I I had a horrible fee the other week when I was at the Intercontinental Boston. Had a lovely stay, really enjoyed the hotel. I was charged out $35 for a resort fee for my one-night work trip in the middle of Boston. There was nothing resort-like about this hotel. So let me ask this question then. Was it like a flat $35? I believe it was $30.00 plus the local tax, which was another $4.94. Okay. To 34.94 in the end. Okay, yeah. so here's the question. What did you get for that? I really don't even know. Um, they told me, and I really had to search around. It was disclosed on the website. I knew about at booking, so that is you know, out there. But I was actually using points for the stay, so it was the only charge. I had two bottles of water. I got free local calls, but like who uses a hotel phone? Premium internet, but I already got it for free as an IHG member. Um, no fee for a rollaway bed, which I was alone. <laughs> I didn't need it. Um, a 50% discount on the pet fee. Um, this is where I love. You pay one mandatory fee and you get a discount on the other fee. And it was still $100 to bring a pet. Um, use of the gym, which, you know, when I stay at a Hampton Inn, there's a gym. No one's charging me to use it. A 10% discount on laundry, again, one night stay. And um, 
discounted tour tickets, which again, one night business trip. I'm not going on a double decker bus ride, or I guess it was Boston, a duck boat cruise. And then this was my favorite free photocopies up to 100 pages. All right. So now you said the charge was mandatory. So you paid it. It wasn't negotiable, although I would argue it probably is. Uh, so there you go. You've been, you paid your $34.94. Uh, you used none of those. Am I right? There was not one service there they gave you that you actually used. I, I used the bottle of water. <laughs> one of the two okay. in my room. I don't think. Uh, I could have walked to a CVS around the corner and not paid $34 for it. Or, yeah, Boston tap water is not that bad. I could have just filled up a cup. All right. Now, you said that your favorite thing was the 100 free copies. What would you do with that? On my stay, I didn't do anything about it. But um, I felt the need to share my story. So being the executive editor at the Points Guy, I got to write a post. Um, put it up on our website, and at the very end, I just told people, you know, head to the front desk, print out a copy of the story, and ask to make 100 photocopies of it. You might as well. You've already paid for it. So <laughs> hopefully the managers at the Intercontinental Boston are getting lots and lots of requests to make a hundred photocopies of my story. And I just would love to see the look on their face um, or even talk to someone there about what, why photocopies in this day and age. I know. Listen, I, And Peter, they're making it up. I mean, that that's the thing. There was another hotel off the block that gives you a free cup of chowder in their restaurant as part of the resort shake. Wow, like, sign me up. <laughs> uh, great. Thank you. Um, you also get a souvenir magnet at that hotel. Okay, your refrigerator. I'm in. I'm in. My thanks to Scott, to Ernest Dollar, and to Scott McCartney. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, just rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, we won't charge you a resort fee, but you can resort, get it, to logging on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com/survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.